How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. Many folk tales, stories, and myths around the world begin with folk straying from the path and meeting beautiful females only to discover that they are treacherous vampires. Since Bram Stoker's 1897 gothic horror Dracula, the silver screen has seen many versions of the vampire. In 1922, actor Max Schreck played Losferatu, Count Orlok or Dracula, in a silent classic about the demise of Dracula. And in 1931, Bela Lugosi became the infamous vampire in one Change is strong, and you can experience it at Gold's Gym. For a limited time only, join the most supportive and dedicated community in fitness for just $1. Get access to the latest cardio and strength equipment, the best group exercise classes, and expert personal trainers dedicated to your success. A stronger you is waiting at Gold's Gym today. Tap the banner now for a free pass. Offer ends February 29th. Valid with select new memberships at participating locations only. Commitment required. Annual fee and other restrictions may apply is regarded as the first legitimate adaptation of Stoker's novel. In the film Daybreakers, Hollywood reimagines the world of the infamous nocturnal bloodsuckers, and The Count has been a dominant character on Sesame Street from 1969 to the present. But where did vampires first appear in history, and what do they really represent? I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos! This is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale for me to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com and be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already so you don't miss a single episode. It is official, by the way. The first Weird Darkness Live event will be coming this Halloween. I will be streaming live on YouTube, telling stories in front of Marler Manor during trick-or-treating hours, and I'll be doing it on camera because Halloween just isn't scary enough. If you want to watch the Weird Darkness live stream on October 31st, just be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel and click the notification bell so you don't miss it. The fun begins on Halloween, 5 p.m. Central Time. That's when the trick-or-treaters start uh, doing their thing around here. That would be 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Mountain, 3 p.m. Pacific. You can get all the details about Weird Darkness live on Halloween, including how to get to my YouTube channel by clicking the link in the show notes. Speaking of the month of October, this month is the official anniversary of Weird Darkness. We've been doing it now since 2015, so we're celebrating three years right now. And to celebrate, instead of asking you to become a patron or promoting one of my audiobooks, I'm asking you to help me raise funds for depression and suicide prevention. And you can make that donation right now by visiting WeirdDarkness.com and then clicking on Battle the Darkness. Our goal is to raise at least $1,000. We would love to go much higher than that. We're currently at $300, though, so we still have quite a ways to go. So if you've been thinking about it, please give today. And also encourage others to do so. Any sized donation, it doesn't matter, it all adds up. Let's help those suffering from depression and thoughts of suicide. Again, click on Battle the Darkness at WeirdDarkness.com or visit WeirdDarkness.com battle to make your donation. 
and thank you in advance for listening to your heart. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… Students move into a relative's home near where they'll be training on the job, and not even the owner of the home knew what frights were waiting for them in the upstairs. A ghostly sentinel, a dark witch's revenge, a haunted church, and other unexplained happenings they all seem to take place in and around a certain cemetery in Salem, Ohio. It is said that some hundred years ago, people in Jamaica believed the powers of so-called shadow killers. But who were they? Police had stopped the investigation of Nicole Vanderherk's murder, so her stepbrother falsely confessed in order to get her body re-examined for DNA testing. Although most scientists say that traveling in time still is not possible, a Washington lawyer says he has done it dozens of times as part of a secret project during the Cold War. And is it possible that the origin of Dracula, the devil, and even the evil blood-sucking Shi all have their origins from one source? We'll begin with that story. Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, grab your my pillow, and come with me into the weird darkness. In the highlands of Scotland, Ba'avanshi were blood-sucking fairies who haunted mountain paths and the low roads which networked across the highlands, where they preyed on unsuspecting travelers, pilgrims, and hunters. Sometimes known as the White Woman of the Highlands, according to Scottish folklorist Donald Alexander Mackenzie, the Ba'avanshi usually appeared as a beautiful young woman wearing a long green dress that concealed the deer hooves that she had instead of feet. These otherworldly seductresses were particularly attracted to the smell of animal blood on male hunters' clothes. While they hold many similarities to the archetypal vampire featured in Stoker's Dracula, there were differences in their approaches toward their victims. Both the Ba'avanshi and Dracula hunted in the darkness and rested in coffins during the day, but where the Transylvanian Count had to feed every evening, Ba'avanshi only fed once a year. Dracula seduced, then sank two fangs into the necks of his prey, but Ba'avanshi danced with their victims, charming the young men until they were under their spell. Then out came their long, sharp fingernails which pierced the victims so that they could drink blood from the open wounds. Where Bram Stoker's vampire shapeshifted into a bat, Ba'avanshi take the form of wolves, hooded crows and ravens. They were often said to lose much of their power while in animal form because they couldn't use their beauty to seduce victims. Both Dracula and Ba'avanshi were able to speak any language using forms of telepathy and where killing Dracula required a wooden stake through the heart, the only way to repel or kill a Ba'avanshi was with iron or by trapping them in their coffin with a stone cairn. Most stories about Ba'avanshi involve hunters being attacked at night. In one particular tale recorded by Donald Mackenzie, four hunters sheltering for the night were partying. One was singing and the other three danced. The hunters wished for four partners to dance with them and soon after that, four women arrived at the hut. Three danced while the fourth sat with the vocalist, who noticed his companions were bleeding and fled from the hut and hid among the trees where he remained safe. The next morning, the man went back inside and found all his friends dead and drained of blood. In a variation of this tale, one of the men noticed the women had deer hooves instead of feet 
and fled from the supernatural creatures, and the next morning he found the three hunters with their throats cut and chests laid open. Folklorist Catherine Briggs suggested that the Ba'avanshi was unable to catch the vocalist among the horses because of the iron with which the horses were shod. One recurring motif in these stories is that of the Ba'avanshi appearing after men expressed their desire for female companionship. Then the men stray off the path and meet terrible fates. Blood is the archetypal Christian symbol of the soul, life energy, and vampires sucking blood has been studied in analytical psychology where it is thought of as a fatal symbiosis and a nourishing of oneself with another's vitality, two central points of vampire legends. This is also said to be an inexplicable component of many human relationships. The study of blood drinking and associating with vampires is something psychologists have studied in depth. In Freud's world, vampires are projections of repressed sexual longings and fears. To him, the vampire corresponds to incestuous feelings of guilt and to infantile oral fixations. Jungian psychologists, on the other hand, believe vampirism and drinking blood is a symbolic expression of our primal instincts. The trickster, Jung said, is from the shadow archetype and deceives sometimes playfully but more often painfully. Described as a very sexual archetype, the trickster has the ability to change genders and play havoc with the hyper-rational personality and community. The archetypal was played by Satan of Christianity, Loki in Norse myths, and in Native American mythology it was the Wendigo trickster. These are relatively modern interpretations, and they begin only 2,000 years ago. But vampires actually appeared in the animalistic beliefs of the earliest Sumerians, long before the hoofed feet were worn by Satan in the Bible. The first Sumerians, between 4500 and 2000 BC, believed spirits inhabited all created forms of the Akimu, sometimes Edimu, ghostly spirits that sucked the life force out of people's bodies. The Akimu was the departed soul of a dead person that had been cursed or denied eternal rest because of some unredeemed sin. It held a psychic control over its victims. The Akimu could walk through doors and walls and would drain the life from the household, including the blood from the owner of the home and his relatives and servants. Similar in nature to the Prita of the Hindu religions or the Jiangxi of Chinese mythology, Akimu were all thought of as spirits of deceased who had not been buried properly, therefore they were vengeful toward the living. They caused diseases and inspired criminal activity in the living, and the Akimu were also thought to be wind spirits that sucked the life out of the susceptible and the sleeping, most commonly the young. In Babylonia, China, Greece, and Egypt, and also in Christianity, the person likely to become a vampire was one who neglected religious rituals or someone who defied community moral standards, i.e. strayed off the path. In ancient Babylonia, as in later Christianity, vampires were archetypes for a collective darkness, heretics working against mankind and ceaselessly devouring the lifeblood. The vampire was not a manifestation of one personal darkness from the Freudian unconscious, but a society-wide archetype from Jung's collective unconscious. It is much older than the Christian devil who later played out the trickster archetype. From its Sumerian origins, through Christian theology, as well as the vampire resurrected as the Ba'avanshi, all hold the same moral. Men who stray off the path and have affairs with beautiful women will, in the long run, have their lifeblood sucked out of them and their whole worlds will collapse, beginning with their families. Up next, it is said that some hundred years ago people in Jamaica believed the powers of so-called shadow killers, but who were they? Police had stopped the investigation of Nicole Vandenherk's murder so her stepbrother falsely confessed in order to get her body re-examined for DNA testing. 
and will tell you how successful he was in that. And although most scientists say that traveling in time is still not possible, a Washington lawyer says he's done it dozens of times as part of a secret project during the Cold War. These stories and more when Weird Darkness returns. Congratulations to Esri Dax's lover. They are this week's Weird Darkness retweet winner, and they're receiving a Weird Darkness t-shirt. Plus, I'm also following them on Twitter now. And next week's winner will receive a free audiobook from Audible, and then I'll follow them as well. If you want to win, it's easy to register. Follow Weird Darkness on Twitter, and then retweet the posts when you see them. You can retweet as many of them as you'd like, and the more you retweet, the greater your chance of winning. So follow Weird Darkness right now and get to retweeting, you weirdo! IRS Those three letters create more fear in some people than any episode of Weird Darkness ever could. The IRS does not give up – until you pay. Trust me, I know. A few years ago, Robin and I were having some major financial difficulties and we found ourselves owing over $10,000 to the IRS. We almost lost our house. But back then, they didn't have something that exists today. If you owe back taxes, you can call Tax Solutions now and get some help. For a limited time, the IRS is offering a tax forgiveness program called Fresh Start, and it can help you pay back taxes, avoid tax liens, and get a fresh start. Tax Solutions Now is accredited with the Better Business Bureau and members of the National Association of Tax Professionals. So if you need a fresh start when it comes to your tax burden, call Tax Solutions Now at 800-417-9743. That's 800-417-9743. After Nicole Vandenherk's 1995 murder case, went largely ignored for more than 20 years. Stepbrother Andy Vandenherk did the only thing he could think of to get the police to re-examine the matter with a DNA test. He falsely confessed to her murder. In 1995, Nicole Vandenherk was a 15-year-old student who was staying with her grandmother in Eindhoven, Netherlands. On October 6th, she left her grandmother's home in the early morning to bike to her job at a nearby shopping center but she never arrived. Police then began to search for her and later that evening discovered her bicycle by a nearby river. The search continued over the next several weeks, but the next clue never appeared, not until October 19th when her backpack was found at the Eindhoven Canal. Police continued to search the river, canal, and nearby forests multiple times over the next three weeks, but to no avail. On November 22nd, seven weeks after Vandenherk first disappeared, a passerby stumbled on her body in the woods between the two towns of Mirlo and Lirop, not far from her grandmother's home. She had been raped and murdered. Police determined the cause of death was most likely internal bleeding due to a stab wound. The police had few suspects. A local woman named Celine Hartogs initially claimed to know the men involved in Vandenherk's murder. She had been detained in Miami for drug trafficking and alleged that the men she had been working for had been involved in the murder. Vandenherk's stepfather first supported Hartog's story, but upon further investigation, the police determined that her claims were flawed and unrelated. In the summer of 1966, the authorities briefly arrested the victim's stepfather and stepbrother, Ad and Andy Vandenherk, but there was no evidence that linked them to the crime. Both were released and ultimately cleared of all involvement. A reward was offered for any information related to the murder, but that produced no helpful leads. To make matters worse, the number of detectives on the investigation team was cut. Over the next few years, all the leads dried up and the case went cold. In 2004, a cold case team briefly reopened the case, but once again, failed. By 2011, with no resolution and the investigation stalled, Andy Vandenherk 
had had enough. As stated in a Facebook post from March 8th of that year, Andy Vandenher confessed to killing his stepsister. I will be arrested today at the murder of my sister. I confessed. We'll get in contact soon. Police promptly arrested him, but found again that there was no evidence other than his own confession that linked him to his stepsister's murder. He was subsequently released after only five days in custody. Shortly afterward, he retracted his confession and said that he only confessed in order to draw attention back to his stepsister's case. I wanted to get her exhumed and get DNA off her. I kind of set myself up, and it could have gone horribly wrong. To get her exhumed, I had to put steps in place to get her exhumed. I went to the police and said I did it. She is my sister. Absolutely. I miss her every day. Andy's plan worked, however. In September 2011, police did dig up Nicole Vanderherk's body for DNA testing. After they exhumed the body, police found traces of DNA relating to three different men which were all believed to belong to her stepbrother, her boyfriend at the time of her disappearance, and a 46-year-old former psychiatric patient and convicted rapist named Joss Deji. Charges were officially brought against Deji for the rape and murder of Nicole Vandenherk in April of 2014. However, the defense immediately called into question the DNA evidence and pointed out there were two other men's DNA on the body as well. They also suggested that it was possible that Deji and Vandenherk had engaged in consensual sex prior to her murder. All of this ultimately led to a lessening of the charges against Deji from homicide to manslaughter. The trial dragged on for more than two years. Scientists reanalyzed the results to confirm that DNA from the body belonged to Deji beyond a reasonable doubt. But there was no way to prove for sure from this DNA alone that Deji had been involved in the murder. After 21 years of on and off investigation and almost two years in court, Deji was acquitted for the murder charge on November 21, 2016. Instead, Deji was found guilty of rape and sentenced to five years in prison. Portals that connect to other points in time and space have appeared in many books, movies, and video games. Some of them connect to distant places, others travel backward or forward in time, and the most powerful to different dimensions. Most people assume that these entries only exist in the realm of mysticism or science fiction, but there are many people, including scientists, who firmly believe that portals have been opened in ancient times and quite possibly even today. According to two informants, the Department of Defense developed time travel technology more than 40 years ago. As early as 1967, the government of the United States would have been using an installation dedicated to this and built on the basis of Tesla quantum access. This technology has been used to keep the construction of military installations secret, as well as to offer political and economic advantages by knowing what the future holds. Some say the CIA confiscated Tesla documents on teleportation shortly after his death. One of these two informants is Michael Relf, a former member of the U.S. Armed Forces who he claimed was a member of a U.S. operation of high secret. He says he was recruited in 1976 and spent the next 20 years helping to maintain and expand one of the two or more U.S. colonies on Mars. Those bases served as strategic research points and defense objectives, and in order to preserve their secrecy, they were built in the future. Dr. Andrew D. Basiaga was a participant in the DARPA Pegasus Project from 1968 to 1972 
that focused on the time travel in the hologram of time and space. He claimed that the CIA was actively training groups of gifted American schoolchildren to become the first generation of explorers. The children were more suited to this mission for several disturbing reasons. First, they were considered ideal candidates because of their clear minds and lack of impressions or experience. The government of the United States was interested in the effects of time travel in young bodies and minds. Adult volunteers usually fell into madness after several trips. Fortunately, naive children had little previous experience and beliefs that could drive them badly. Another use of quantum technology was found in political control. According to Dr. Basiago, people of interest in the future would be notified at an early stage about the functions they were supposed to perform years later. He said that in the 1970s in Albuquerque, New Mexico, he was present during a luncheon in which George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush were informed of their future presidencies. Basiago says that in 1971, he saw images of the attack on the Twin Towers which occurred on September 11, 2001. They had been obtained by observing the future and brought back for analysis. This implies that the U.S. government knew about 9-11 three decades before it happened. According to the informants and those who support them, this technology is kept secret despite being financed by the population. It's not the first time that these missions have been declassified due to their immense potential. They say that people have the right to know what's really happening, the truth about space exploration and the presence of human beings on other planets. However, the opposite happens. Teleportation could solve transportation problems around the world by allowing people and goods to move instantly. It would also help immediately to destroy the pyramid of current tyrannical power, and that's precisely why the information is not revealed. It is said that some hundred years ago, people in Jamaica believed the powers of so-called shadow killers. These were witches, wizards who spread terror by practicing black magic. Is there any truth behind these stories, or are we simply dealing with superstition? Do some modern people really still believe in the power of spells and black magic? Are there any interesting historical accounts and ancient history facts that can help us shed more light on the mysterious shadow killers? Why is the practice of obia forbidden? The so-called shadow killers were men and women who became known as obia. The term obia is first encountered in documents from the early 18th century, and the history of obia is similar to that of voodoo in Haiti and Santeria in Latin America. African slaves brought spiritual practices to the Caribbean that included folk healing and belief in magic. It is from these arrivals and their spiritualisms that Obia originates. Obia is perhaps the oldest of all Afro-Creole religions in the Caribbean. Its name is derived from the Ashanti words Obey-Ifo or Obeyi, meaning wizard or witch. According to Marguerite Fernandez-Omos and Lisbeth Paravicini-Gerbert, authors of the book Creole Religions of the Caribbean, an introduction from voodoo and santeria to Obia and Espiritismo, Obia is not a religion so much as a system of beliefs rooted in Creole notions of spirituality, which acknowledges the existence and power of the supernatural world. Jamaica is a highly religious country. Christianity dominates nearly every aspect of life and, according to the church, the practice of obia is associated with evil. Until recently, the practice of obia was punishable by flogging or imprisonment, among other penalties. But how did the obia become known as shadow killers? Stories tell that obia men and women used to practice black magic in secret. They undertook assignments on behalf of others to deliberately hurt another person. What made many people especially afraid of the obia were the rumors that they could kill people by capturing their shadow. These rumors are most likely the result of a conflict between Mayal and obia. 
Mayal is a variation of obeah that is practiced in Jamaica. The Mayal men positioned themselves as the good opponents to evil obeah. They claimed that obeah men stole people's shadows and they set themselves up as the helpers of those who wished to have their shadows restored. After 1760, it became punishable by death for slaves to practice obeah in Jamaica, and the rest of the British colonies followed suit. The story can be traced to the Taki rebellions in 1760 when a man named Taki led a revolt by Coromantine slaves. It was said that he gave the slaves a magical preparation that was supposed to render them invulnerable to the weapons of the authorities. The passage of the law was meant to safeguard against the practice of obia, which the colonizers thought could possibly lead to further results. In court documents from 1760, it is written that obia practitioners use blood, feathers, teeth from dogs and alligators, broken bottles, snakes, roosters, soil, eggs, and eggshells for evil magical purposes. In 1824, there were about 150 Obia men and women throughout Jamaica, but the numbers have not been officially confirmed. Obia men and women were feared but also popular, at least to some extent, and they played an important role in the lives of slaves that had no human rights. Slaves who had been mistreated turned to an Obia to seek justice and revenge. Obia was considered bad magic, but for many people it seemed to empower them to shape their own existence by manipulating the spirits, both benevolent and malevolent. It should be added that most people in Jamaica, both free as well as slaves, distanced themselves from the Obia people. Practicing Obia resulted in expulsion from the social community. The situation was different on other islands, such as, for example, Barbados and Leeward Islands, where Obia were admired and held a high status. Practice of Obia is forbidden in Jamaica, but there are still those who refuse to give up their beliefs in the power of magic. Although few people do believe in Obia in the cities, there are some modern Obia men and women who say they can help with all manner of things, from curing illness to removing curses. Over the years, the popularity of Obia has waned, and finding Obia men and women to reveal what they do is rare. People who use Obia's services rarely want to talk openly about it, and it looks as if the old Obia traditions are slowly fading away. When Weird Darkness Returns Students move into a relative's home near where they will be training on the job, and not even the owner of the home knew what frights were waiting for them upstairs. A ghostly sentinel, a dark witch's revenge, a haunted church, and other unexplained happenings, they all seem to take place in and around a certain cemetery in Salem, Ohio. These stories are up next. IRS those three letters create more fear in some people than any episode of Weird Darkness ever could. The IRS does not give up. Until you pay. Trust me, I know. A few years ago, Robin and I were having some major financial difficulties and we found ourselves owing over $10,000 to the IRS. We almost lost our house. But back then, they didn't have something that exists today. If you owe back taxes, you can call Tax Solutions now and get some help. For a limited time, the IRS is offering a tax forgiveness program called Fresh Start, and it can help you pay back taxes, avoid tax liens, and get a fresh start. Tax Solutions Now is accredited with the Better Business Bureau and members of the National Association of Tax Professionals. So if you need a fresh start when it comes to your tax burden, call Tax Solutions Now at 800-417-9743. That's 800-417-9743. 800-417-9743. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by MyPillow, but rather than me telling you about it, I'd like to read a tweet that was sent to me by AnCat96. She said, Darren Marlar, my MyPillow came in yesterday, and I didn't think I would like it because of how it was stuffed. Oh, was I wrong. I slept like a baby and woke up and my neck didn't hurt. 
made it so much harder to get out of bed. Man, <laughs> do I hear you, Amcat. I have the same problem. Amcat96, she was able to take advantage of the Weird Darkness special, two premium MyPillows for one low price. Go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code WEIRD. That's MyPillow.com and then use the promo code WEIRD or you can call 800-945-7192. That's 800-945-7192. Or again, MyPillow.com and then use the promo code WEIRD. I was 20 years old at the time and was about to start my on-the-job training OJT, at a steel company in Ortigas. It was a two-month-long training designed to help me and four other people from my class familiarize ourselves about the actual activities or work done in our field of study. We tried applying to other construction companies, but weekly allowance and payment reimbursements offered by the steel company convinced us to sign a contract with them. They really needed OJTs at the time. Me and my groupmates decided to rent a place that was near the company. Luckily, a cousin of one of the members of our group offered the second floor of a residence for us to stay, since it's only her and her disabled brother who were staying there. We agreed with the arrangements made, since her house is just a good 20 minutes walk from the company's gate, and moved in with her. The second floor of her house is just a huge space with a separate bedroom. They managed to provide bunk beds for us to sleep on. We felt lucky at that time for having the whole second floor to ourselves. But then we were naive at the time. After settling in, things would go missing and be found in another place. Our bags opened with our clothes scattered everywhere as if someone purposely went through our things. At first we thought a robber broke in, so the owner, the cousin of one of our members, installed a deadbolt and a chain lock at the front doors. Even when the security was already tightened, our things would still go missing. The owner suspected that maybe it was her brother who was stealing our stuff, but that it would probably be impossible since he can't walk. He can't even climb the stairs up to the second floor. We have these lamps with motion sensors that were loaned to us by the owner, and they'd light up if we waved our hand or walked past it but every night they would go on blinking at the exact time that we were all laying in bed. Sometimes we would spend the rest of the night sleeping huddled together because we were so scared. One time I was awakened by this intense heat, so I quickly got up and plugged in the electric fan, when I noticed a woman standing at the edge of the stairs. I waved my hand at the lamp, but it didn't turn on. I adjusted my vision in the darkness and formed an outline of the woman standing at the edge of the stairs. As soon as the image registered in my mind, I quickly went to bed, pulled the blanket up to my head and forced myself to sleep again. It wasn't a woman, that's what I told myself, because it had these fiendish characteristics with its messed up hair and long fingernails placed at its sides. I told my groupmates about what I saw the following morning. Some of them even said that they too witnessed the same entity on the same exact spot. The nights that followed that event were not peaceful. We would not sleep very well. Some of my groupmates even planned to move out, but we ended up bearing with the activities inside the house since we'd already paid the full payment for the two months' stay, plus our share on the electric, gas, and water consumption. After our two months' training ended, we bid our farewell to the owner and thanked her for welcoming us to her home, even though there's something in there that doesn't want us to be there in the first place. Though Ohio has a plethora of notoriously haunted places, some of the most spiritually active are known only to locals. Salem Church Cemetery in Jackson County, Ohio is one of these places. Established in the early 1800s, the old Salem Church and surrounding cemetery is the final resting place for many Civil War soldiers 
who died in the infamous Morgan Raid that happened nearby. It was the greatest Confederate invasion in Ohio and resulted in many casualties. Although the church building is in decent shape and the grounds are well-maintained, locals shy away from Salem and warn out-of-town thrill-seekers to stay away as well. Since the 1870s, visitors have reported seeing a ghostly sentinel in a Civil War uniform. He's often spotted close to the veterans' area, keeping an eternal guard over his fallen comrades. The soldier's spirit has never shown aggression and usually disappears before anyone can speak to him. Other visitors have seen orbs floating around the trees on the grounds and have seen shadowy figures lurking behind the silent church. Some sightings in the Salem Church Cemetery are more menacing. According to local legend, a high priestess from an evil coven was secretly executed and buried on the land years before it became a church cemetery. Over the years, hundreds of visitors have experienced uneasiness and the cold touch of icy hands. Unexplained scratches have also appeared on visitors' arms and legs, and spectral shadows loomed threateningly around them. Has the Dark Witch returned to get her revenge on Jackson residents for eternity? Locals say that if visitors knock three times on the church's vaulted doors, they'll hear three eerie knocks coming from within. Area paranormal investigators and psychics have studied Salem Cemetery with mixed results. EVP recordings and infrared cameras have captured disturbing sounds, shadows, and orbs that cannot be explained. The township has lost scores of caretakers over the years because of the eerie experiences. Many people tending the lawn have been scared out of their wits by phantom hands grabbing their feet and disembodied voices whispering in their ears. Ancient tombstones have changed positions and statues have disappeared only to show up again days later. Those who dare may explore Salem Church Cemetery on Route 24 and Salem Road, Wellston, Ohio, during daylight hours only. You might see the sentinel guarding the graves or feel the icy nails of the begrudged dark witch. Perhaps you'll hear an ominous knocking in the lonely church. Since it is a cemetery, please be respectful of the dead and their living family members. Night visits? They require special permission from the township trustee board. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And as mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this month I'm asking you to help raise as much money as we can for depression and suicide prevention, and you can give right now by clicking on Battle the Darkness at WeirdDarkness.com or click the link in the show notes. As of this recording, we're currently at $300 and we have Christine, Valerie, and Tanith to thank for getting us to that level, but we still have a long way to go. Our goal is to reach $1,000 or more, so please consider giving right now. Click on Battle the Darkness at WeirdDarkness.com or click the link in the show notes. Also at Weird Darkness, you can get the free mobile app, find me on Facebook and Twitter, join the Weirdo Facebook group, get stories that I didn't have time to use in the podcast, and more. And if you like the show, please tell your friends about it on all your social media, text, email, and any other way you connect with the outside world. If you want to drop me an email, you can do that at darren at weirddarkness.com. And if you want to find other contact information, along with maybe a mailing address, you can find all of that on the contact page at weirddarkness.com. And while you're listening to the podcast, why don't you take a moment, leave a rating and review. I might read your comments here in the podcast. ADD from Apple Podcasts, he says, his voice lulls me to sleep. That sounds like a bad thing, but it's the only way I can get to sleep at night. And congrats, sir. I'm so glad getting saved didn't stop you from the show. When I started going to church, I was told to turn away from witches and ghosts. But stories don't keep us from our faith. Other believers do. Wow, good point there, ADD, and thank you very much for recognizing that. 
Dark Sloth Demon. Dark Sloth Demon. What an interesting name. Uh, he left an Apple podcast review and he said, This podcast started out creepy and great. I was hooked for a long time listening to the great stories and creepy music, but after listening for a while, I noticed something rather annoying more often than I like. An episode will have the same story as another episode. The variety is good, but the repeat of stories is annoying. I've heard the same story over three times in three different episodes. Please share more news stories." Uh, in reply to that, um, I'm guessing that Dark Sloth Demon he's listening to archive episodes which I was posting on the weekends or on days that I was like sick or if it was a national holiday, something like that. I'll use an archive episode. That might be what he's referring to. Um, those are just stories that I've used in the past that I, that I put together and send out an episode when I'm not feeling well or whatever else. So that might be what he's referring to. At least I hope so. Um, I, I try to do just new stories when I'm, when I'm producing new episodes. Uh, but I've done so many stories over the years, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe one, two, a dozen ended up coming back and I just didn't realize it at the time. But uh, thank you for the concern, Dark Sloth Demon. I appreciate it and I'll try to keep a closer ear out. I got an email from Kara and she said, thank you so much for bringing up suicide awareness. I lost my 19-year-old last year to suicide just two weeks before her 20th birthday. I listen to you regularly and can't thank you enough for helping raise funds for the Suicide Foundation. I've been raising funds as well. It's so important that we get this out there. My Tiffany was a bright light in a dark world. She was the queen of random kindness, so now we do acts of random kindness in memory of her. We call it hashtag living like Tiffany. Thank you so much. It's truly appreciated. Signed, Karen. And then I got an email from Ken, and Ken said, Darren, you read a message from an atheist during your program one day this week. At first, I was angry about his calling you small-minded bigot that you are small and you promote hate. He was actually describing himself. Then I realized what Jesus says, blessed are you when men cast insults at you, Matthew 5, verse 11. When you first read scripture after your program, I was floored. I thought, that's weird, pun intended. I love hearing your weird stories, and your voice is incredible for what you do. It holds my attention. Now I look forward to the scripture you select each day. Anyone who stops listening because you bring God into the picture, they're missing your bigger message of what he says to calm our fears. And that's very sad. I'd love to sit down with you someday. I hope that can happen sometime. Just keep doing what you're doing, please. Also, I've suffered with depression at times and have thought about leaving this world behind. I realize, however, that this life is so short by comparison to the eternal life that Jesus died to give me in heaven. Thank you, Darren. In Jesus' love, signed, Ken. Thank you very much, Ken. By the way, Ken is so far the only person that has dropped me an email and actually understood exactly why I'm putting the uh, the Bible verses at the end. He says that, that uh, I do it because uh, it's calming the fears, and that's exactly what they're for. If you notice each verse that I do put at the end of, a, of an episode, it's about spiritual warfare. Um, it's about you know overcoming our, the darkness, conquering fears. That's what it's there for. So it's not just a random Bible verse somewhere. There are reasons I chose those particular ones, and Ken apparently noticed that. So thank you, Ken. And thanks to everybody uh, for the reviews and the emails. Uh, please, if, if you haven't already, take a moment, drop me an email, or maybe leave a review in the podcast app you're using, and I might read yours at an upcoming podcast. The following stories from this episode are purported to be true, and you can find links in the show notes. Shadow Killers of Jamaica was written by Ellen Lloyd. Sumerian Vampires was written by Ashley Cowie. Haunted Salem Cemetery was posted at ghostsandghouls.com. False Confessions was written by Amy Lamoureux. Two Months of Terror was posted at YourGhostStories.com. And Proof of Time Travel was posted at AlienUFOSightings.com. Music provided by Midnight Syndicate and Shadows Symphony. You can find links to both in the show notes. And now that we are coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. 
Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the weird darkness. Depression comes to all of us at times. I know personally, as I suffer from depression myself and have most of my life. But if you can't seem to get out of it, if you're in a constant state of sadness, as I was, maybe you're even fighting thoughts of suicide, you will try just about anything to get away from that pain. You might be using drugs or alcohol to try and fight it. And if that's you, please stop and do me a favor. Make one phone call that can save your life. The Hope and Helpline is there for you right now, no matter where you are. You can speak to someone who not only wants to help you, but has likely gone through depression or addiction themselves and are in recovery. They can help you find a way off that dark path you're on in a healthy way. Call 800-830-9804. That's 800-830-9804. Call for yourself or call to help someone who can't or won't call on their own. Someone is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 800-830-9804 of the Caribbean, an introduction from Voodoo and Santeria to Obia and Esper to Obia and Espiritismo and Santeria to Obia and Espiritismo to Obia and Esperitismo, Obia is not a religion so much as a Obia is not a religion so much as a system of beliefs rooted in Creole notions of spirituality rooted in Creole notions of spirituality, which acknowledges the existence and power of the supernatural world. Jamaica is highly Jamaica is a highly religious country. Christianity <laughs> In court documents from 1760, it's written that Obia practi- In court documents from 1760, it is written that Obia practitioners flood In court documents from 1760, it is written that Obia users practi- <laughs> 